0: It's almost like once you start doing it, I you almost have to like it. It's. it's...
1: He takes his hand and grabs his hat on top of his head while he's looking at it. The
0: Black Pondo Podcast.
1: You can ask me anything. I'll I'll talk about whatever. (laughs) Nice. Okay. You and Young Cho used to be kind of homies, right? Back in the day.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm the only person who has ever gone to her house to uh, learn kusamono. Really? Uh, yeah. So uh, it was. It was fun. She. I met Young probably when I was in. Gosh, probably high. Not high school, just uh, probably undergraduate. And I think we went to a Bondi convention in Nashville, or. Uh, Knoxville or something like that and she was down there and so we did my uh, uh, you know, my dad and I did a workshop with her you know, way back in the day about 10 years ago and uh, we still have those plants which is pretty fun but uh, yeah during college I was I was out on the east coast in, in Connecticut and she was living in Maryland and that was pretty close drive so I said hey young I'd love to know more about Kusumoto can I come down and study with you so uh, yeah she invited me down and Kind of taught me the basics taught me uh, some simple aesthetics and things to shoot for and yeah we've been having fun with accents ever since have, have you worked with young before
1: you know i i haven't but i'm a, a massive fan of her work and uh, i feel like she's so talented when it comes to kusumono and i remember when i first met you i think it was at a bib show and you and her came out to the show and so i i knew you guys were connected somehow just wasn't sure exactly the relationship
0: yeah yeah we've we've always been uh, close friends and uh, we've had her out to the the portland club several times so great yeah, I, I like young a lot she has a really really good eye it's really good taste uh, so that that always makes it fun to kind of see how that applies to Kusumoto.
1: absolutely so what was she doing out in the portland area
0: yeah we had her out for for bsop the bonsai society of portland uh, and so we had a little bit of time the day of the meeting, uh, and so she wanted to clean up a few kusumona that we had here just to show like examples. And, and I've been so busy this year that my kusumona were an absolute disaster, so they, they really did need a clean up. But she, she kind of spruced them up so she could show people what some old kusumona looked like something that I think people don't really realize with accent plants is that they should be old too. Uh, if you're just stuffing something in a pot, you know, right before the show, you're, you're hundred percent doing it wrong. <laughs> and, uh, that's something that she stresses a lot. And, uh, I, I kind of had the other end of the spectrum. My trees were, a little, or my, my accents were a little uncapped. And so we, we just went through and did some tidying and spruced them up to, to, to share.
1: Oh, that's so great. Very cool. Very cool.
0: Do you have a, do you have a big accent collection?
1: You know, it's, it's growing. Every year I add one or two. I, I make a few. Usually I'm not happy with one of them. Yeah. And uh, I kind of slowly add them over time. But yeah. I, I do enjoy Kusmono for sure.
0: Yeah, it's, it's pretty fun. It's a nice counterpoint to Bontai. It's a little less intense. It's kind of fun.
1: Yeah, and I, I tend to use both the traditional plants that you might find, say, in like big exhibitions within japan and then i also do a lot of i'm really interested in uh in california native stuff as well california native plants
0: yeah that's dope do you um something young really stresses is you know when people are out collecting uh when you're getting your sierra juniper whatever like just start grabbing some grass and (laughs) little flowers that are kind of right next to it do do you ever do that when you go out collecting i
1: absolutely do 100 percent, and uh i'm very much I, i feel like that's probably how Kusumono was originally started to be worked on. <laughs> People probably saw those awesome Itoagawa junipers yeah. out in nature, and there was a little plant growing next to them. And that's the way when I go up into the Sierras. In fact, I was just collecting last weekend. Uh-huh. I was out there for a couple of days, yeah. and I was definitely looking at all the penstemon, and there's like a native stone crop yeah. that grows yeah. right by them. They grow in the cracks of the granite and in the little shaded areas, there's these moss yeah. and there was a bunch of snowmelt. And so it was just really beautiful to see the Sierra junipers with those native plants. And uh, that absolutely inspires me to want to create native kusamono.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I think it makes a ton of sense if you're, especially if you're doing collecting out there anyway. But some of the, the fun things about collecting accents are the surprises that you get. Uh, like oftentimes if you see like a little clump of little weeds or something out in, in the woods and you, you know, dig it up and bring it home, all these new plants start popping up next spring that you <laughs> didn't really remember. No, we're totally, there. so that that can be pretty fun. Yeah.
1: Totally. Yeah. I have absolutely experienced that. I grabbed a, cr- a clump of moss with a bunch of little plants in it and Certain ones take over, and the other ones that you thought might be good kind of die down. But it's really yeah. fun to see what happens with that and see the little ecosystem within that tiny little container.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally.
1: What's your uh, kusamono collection look like these days?
0: Oh gosh, I think I think we counted the other day. I think we have maybe fifty. So I don't. I don't have a lot. I need to probably make some more. I especially need a bunch of shohin kusamono. Because uh, all of my kusumono, like I have them in small pot, like or I have several in small pots. But when we do shohin displays with my my shohin group here, we find that like they're still too big. Like I need the ones that are like you know about like a shot glass size or smaller. So I need to make a bunch of those this year. That's like top of my kusumono to do list. I'd love to go collect some more natives. Yeah, I, I haven't given them as much thought as I I should. It's it's probably a good thing to do later in like the summer when the deciduous work dies down
1: for sure. For sure. So yeah. Do you, do you, I, I think with, I, I usually think of the repotting season as late winter, early spring, yeah. but with kusumono you can kind of like do a lot of that in the summer, right?
0: Yeah. I pretty much do it any time of the year that I'm not busy. Obviously during the growing season makes more sense because you can actually see what you're working with. Uh, if, if it dies back down to the soil. But yeah, I like I like pretty much any time in the growing season where you have like a little bit of dead space.
1: Cool. So. And do you tend to use the soil mix that young Cho, Cho uses? I,
0: I, I do a much simpler version. She's adding things like charcoal and kanuma and a bunch of, you know, she has a lot more components than I use. I basically just either use recycled bonsai soil or uh, recycled bonsai soil plus some like high quality potting soil. Nice. And that's nice. worked really well for me.
1: Yeah. Solid. Something that holds some good moisture.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If they're really small, I even just throw in like sphagnum moss as a substrate.
1: Nice. Um, that would make sense, especially for the shohin yeah. size ones. Yeah. yeah.
0: Sure.
1: Awesome, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Andrew, what, what have you been up to uh, lately? I, it's been a while. I think the last time I spoke with you, it was at was probably at the Pacific Bonsai Expo.
0: That's right. Yeah.
1: So I'm curious, like, what does the first half of 2023 look like for you?
0: Oh, gosh, it's been busy. (laughs) I have so many plants here in the garden now that it's, it's, uh, you finish one thing and then you're already like doing, like starting back at the end of the cycle and and going again. So it's been a lot of travel work. I've, I'm I'm traveling a lot this year. I have clients all over the country that I'll go visit. I go do, um, clubs as well. But it's been a, it, just a lot of travel and a lot of, you know, when I'm home, I'm s- slamming through my own trees. Very thankful for my dad and a bunch of volunteers that come over and help uh, get through the garden. Uh, I kind of do it without those people. But, yeah, it's it's been busy. It's been a good, busy year. How's, how's your year been going?
1: <laughs> uh, it's been good. It's been good. I mean, I have two little ones, a five-year-old daughter and a three-and-a-half-year-old son and so they take up a whole lot of my time and i'm happy to give them my time but it means i just have to be more selective about my bonsai time so a little less collecting uh still going up to go see peter t just got back from a collecting trip but things are going really well working on the bonsai garden i think my next step is going to be a koi pond I'm kind of talking to someone about building that for me.
0: Yeah. So things are good, man. Is that going to be inside your garden? Your garden looks great, by the way. Uh, Is is that going to be inside or kind of outside before you get into the trees?
1: It's going to be inside. Nice. Yeah. So I hope to incorporate it with trees along the edges. Kind of like, what's his name? Um,
0: Mario Comstock. Well,
1: I think he did a fish pond, huh? And it he did, yeah, really nice, yeah, like like him or uh, I'm totally blanking. One of the most famous bonsai
0: <laughs> Kimura,
1: uh, not Kimura, although he has a he has a koi pond as so well, hard. right?
0: Yeah, I think um, quite a few. I think a dare, you know, a big collector on the East Coast, yep. bunch koi. Uh, Yes, I'm probably still not <laughs> trying to remember who who you are thinking of. Uh, uh,
1: the uh, the uh, <laughs> gonna have to edit this part out. Um, uh, the uh, the the uh, does a lot of azaleas, has a koi fish pond, has a incredible bonsai museum that people go to.
0: Mel Goldstein,
1: uh, he's in in Japan.
0: Okay, I don't know who you're talking about.
1: Ah, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, Peter Warren apprenticed with him. Oh, Kobayashi. Kobayashi. Oh, yeah. Could not think of that for the life of me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess he has a big koi pond too.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I would love if it looked like that, but it won't be as cool as that. But I'm still really, really excited for it and super pumped about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, fish are fun. I, uh, I don't do koi. I don't need any more outside activities, but I do have a saltwater reef aquarium. Do you really? Uh, yeah, I do.
1: <laughs> oh, that's cool. Very yeah. cool
0: just just getting it up and, and running and and you know you'd be you're, you'd probably be surprised there's it's like a very it's a, a a lot of people in bonsai do this as well which has been kind of fun you know it's like i like in almost like one out of four one out of five students have done saltwater aquariums so it's it's kind of going in tandem with with bonsai which is
1: yeah fun. that's so cool man i've my dad used to be into saltwater aquariums quite a bit, and I've always yeah. been interested, but I never actually took the leap and yeah. tried to to build and create one. That's so cool, though.
0: Yeah, it's pretty fun. So that's, that's my hobby when I'm not working on trees. Nice, nice. Uh, but uh, yeah, trees are keeping me busy. When you have a lot of one thing, you know, my garden's like 90% deciduous. It can be, you have seasons that are like really, really busy. And then you have like total dead periods and I'm in the really busy kind (laughs) of mode right now.
1: Totally. Totally. What, uh, when is the dead period for you? Would you say,
0: you know, we, I try and get most of the deciduous trees, like the final cuts made for the the summer kind of right around August, August 1st or first week of august here in portland with the warmer years we've been having we kind of push that maybe into the second week but yeah everyone kind of has like a cutoff date probably i don't know six weeks before cold weather comes where uh, you want to stop pruning you want to like let that final bit of regrowth uh, flush out set buds uh, lignify a little bit before fall so that uh they have good survivability over over the dormant season and then you can trim again of course when uh that the leaves are in fall color slightly after, but yeah. So kind of like August, September, you know, we're doing a lot of watering here, but that's kind of like the time that, you know, I get to go collecting or uh, work on the conifers in the garden or you know, enjoy my reef tank and just kind of chill.
1: Nice. Nice. Very cool. Well, uh, <laughs> hope it your busy season continues to go well and hope you might get a little break in, in between there and, that is fantastic, yeah, so, yeah, hey, Andrew, I have been extremely impressed. and with with your business and and how successful you've been, congrats on winning the award over at the Pacific Bonsai Expo. All three of your trees looked absolutely awesome. Um, I'm a big fan of your Bonsai Garden and Bonsai Talk. No, excuse me, Bonsai Wire. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> absolutely love listening to that podcast. Thank you. I'm curious. So since uh, becoming a bonsai professional, transitioning from a bonsai enthusiast over to a professional, has anything surprised you or has anything been quite a bit different than you may have expected?
0: Yeah, that's a good good question. Let's see. What has surprised me? I, I've heard you ask this to, to other people on the uh, on your previous podcasts, and I think it's it's one that stumps everybody. And I, I, if I was smart, I would have thought about it ahead of time. Um, yeah, I think – I mean, right now, I don't know if it's surprising, but right now we're seeing this, this thing going on in the community where we have the highest demand for trees that we've ever seen in, in bonsai. And – the supply is like completely decimated. And so that, I, I don't know, I guess I didn't really see that coming. A lot of the suppliers of, of good material have kind of closed down. And, and it's not that, you know, there's, there's not some great up and coming places. But yeah, it's, it's really, really hard to, to define things right now. I'm also a little surprised too, like how much bonsai is just completely taking off and accelerating. I, I teach at the Japanese Garden, the Portland Japanese Garden, twice a month. Uh, I give just like an intro to bonsai lecture, and I mean, I'll, I'll get 150 people that just kind of congregate, and they're just like completely fascinated with, with with bonsai, and so that that's pretty fun. But yeah, I guess I didn't see like lack of material coming, and you know, the huge you know you know surge for for bonsai
1: that's that's a really interesting point and when you bring it up it makes me real really realize that that is 100 percent what's going on it seems like with a lot of bonsai growers have kind of unfortunately stopped for one reason or another like we had telferian farms yeah with that very unfortunate fire i know you got a ton of trees from them but they were uh, a big producer of trees i know I think Jim Gremmel used yep. to produce quite a few up in the Bay Area. Yeah. He hasn't been so much recently. I know down here, uh, George Murnaco was selling quite a few trees at one point in time, and it seems like he's kind of slowed down quite a bit. And more and more people seem to get interested in bonsai, and there's just not that many trees to go around. Uh, yeah. So it seems like we need more people growing trees, I would say.
0: Yeah. Either growing trees or, I mean, I might, a, a better way to say that might be just making trees or making bonsai. Uh, Cause I do think we have maybe an issue in, in the bonsai community right now where, and we don't have to diverge too far down this rabbit hole, but I, I think there's a difference between people who grow pre bonsai and people who grow bonsai. And this might be <laughs> dropping a little bit of eggshell, but it's it's something I've been thinking about the last few years. You know, I think, there are certain people who just um, want to fill out a a bonsai garden as quickly as possible or, or artists um, you know, think about Michael Hagedorn or Ryan who came back from Japan and you know, all of a sudden just after like a very short decade, they have like a backyard full of like amazing trees. And so, yeah, I think there's, I I think we need to make more bonsai. Yeah. I, I, I'm I'm not seeing as much of that being done. It's, you know, there's a, a lot of people growing tree bonsai, but I don't see a lot of that materializing into tangible results. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. Yeah. Uh, I would agree with you there.
0: I mean, cause I, like someone like Jim Gremmel, like he's a good comparison. Like I, I would say the majority of the plants that Jim <laughs> Gremmel touched turned out to be nice trees. But you don't really see that with some of the other large-scale growers that we've had, it's, and it's not to say that you can't go to, you know, a place like Brussels or or Telperion or Lone Pine or whatnot and pull out, you know, a diamond in the rough and put a lot of effort in and make it really special. But there's, you don't see a lot of growers who are like, you know, ninety percent of the things that they make turn out to be like absolutely stellar. And I, I think we need more of that. We don't need more just. Bonsai nurseries. We need more of a of a quality kind of goal, goalpost. I think. Definitely. I'm kind of rambling, but you know, I mean, <laughs> there's some some loose thoughts I've been thinking about over the last year or so, and and I haven't quite materialized how to <laughs> to say it nicely yet. But that's that's kind of the rough version. Yeah. No. Well, I
1: I kind of like this topic. I think it's it's interesting, and I agree with you. Um, I think that. The reason that we're not saying it is because that's challenging and it's, I, I feel like there's a lot of people that go to Japan, they learn how to wire and style a bonsai maybe, or make it look really nice, cherry yeah. it out, but maybe not like a, a uh, no, there are people that are going to Japan and learning how to make a tree, yeah. but it, it's it's starting with the trunk yeah, and then making the branches uh whereas i feel like what you're talking about more so is either starting from a very young age like seedling cutting or air layer or potentially like collecting something or grow uh, field growing and then taking that tree from from a very young age to a high quality bonsai which i think takes a lot of time yeah and takes a lot of skill
0: yeah it does yeah, I mean, I think the the shortcut, obviously, that you know, if you look at the the playbook that Michael Hegadorn followed, or Ryan Neal followed, or Bjorn Bjornholm followed, it's you know just buy trunks, and then the rest is actually quite easy. You know, in five, ten years, if you have a good starting point, a good trunk, you can you can pretty much get a garden full of amazing trees with I don't want to say little effort, but the trunk is, is an amazing kind of, uh, leap forwards. And so, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the formula that I, I followed. There's, there's very few trees in the garden that I actually grew the trunk on because I, you know, I was, you know, I even though I'm a young guy, I'm 30, 31 years old, I'm still thinking, you know, if I want my year one to look pretty good, like, I don't want my year one to look like a, a seedling in a colander. Like, that's not <laughs> exciting to me. Nobody wants to travel to a garden and see that. I, I want my year one to, even if it means maybe sacrificing, you know, a few things like getting a trunk that has a bunch of big scars or whatnot, but has some presence and something to build off of, or, or you know, getting a piece of nursery stocking that's 12 feet tall and cutting it down. You know, I, I wanted something that year one looked pretty exciting. And that's what I recommend to students a lot, make... You know whether it's Yamadori, which is you know easy for conifers, or you know maybe nursery stock, which is quite easy for deciduous. If you have a good starting point, you can see the finish line a lot faster. Solid, uh, but you, I mean, you've done this too. I mean, you and I have been kind of building our collections and gardens. You know, the last five ten years. I mean, what's what's it been like for you? It, it's it's not easy finding trunks. Unless you put in the work to go hike for them.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not easy to find super high quality trunks. I do think that we should make a, a very big distinction in terms of conifers and deciduous. And then broadleaf evergreens is a whole other thing. But yeah, nother thing. I feel like in the U.S. we can find really good conifer trunks. And that's usually in the form of Yamadori yeah whereas i think deciduous trees are even more challenging to find really good material right now like it's just so hard to find and the demand seems to be going up and up and up for really good quality deciduous yeah i, and so,
0: I think yeah. so yeah i mean i mean you and i have been hunting for deciduous i mean it's it's it's, it's yeah. tough to find something with with a lot of years of momentum built in Definitely, Con- conifers. It's an easy button, you know. If you want a nice pine or a, a, a nice juniper, then you just start with a great trunk, and you know there's there's easy resources. You might, mean, you might have to spend some money, but you know, you and I could pick up the phone right now and, and buy a nice juniper trunk. It's not totally. the same with a Japanese maple.
1: Hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, one one kind of thing that I've been thinking about so. We collect conifer Yamadori trunks and ponderosa pine, Rocky mountain, juniper, Sierra juniper. We have a great starting point. Mm -hmm. We kind of know what that's all about with deciduous, with collecting deciduous. I, I, I feel like it's almost, and I was trying to explain this on another episode. (laughs) I don't know how well I did then, but, uh, and, or how well I'll do now, but I almost think of it as like a hybrid type collect and grow situation where I feel like say, for example, with a, an American horn beam, mm-hmm. you may go out and collect a trunk, but maybe you're just looking for one section of decent taper. So maybe it's like lower trunk and then you have a, a low branch or something like that, that you might be able to cut back to. I kind of feel like with collecting, deciduous it may be a good idea for us or or kind of like change our mindset to where we need to collect those types of trees and then put them in a big box or potentially even like the ground again to create the next sections of taper and thicker primary branches or potentially even just to thicken the trunk root probably root graft or air layer or use a variety of different techniques To where we can't really think about it with with a conifer, it's like you collect the trunk and you just start working on the branches right away. With deciduous, I feel like there's an extra time period and several extra steps that we're going to need to take if we're going to work with Yamadori deciduous, generally speaking. Not always, like you may get lucky and you may find this awesome Yamadori American hornbeam that was growing in a crack and it's just naturally dwarfed. But I kind of I haven't seen a lot of that. I, I've, I've seen it
0: seen a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you No, know, you don't you don't go on the side of the mountain and find like that perfect Japanese maple just sitting there like ready for like one little eight hour session of work or two and then it's done. Yeah, no, I, th- I think you you absolutely nailed it. When we collect deciduous, you can assume that what you're collecting is fifty percent done. When you collect a nice. uh, conifer Yamadori, what you're collecting is 95% done. And, you know, conifer Yamadori, we're just finding a really nice trunk and we're just decorating the branches around it. I mean, it's it's really not that hard. Deciduous Yamadori, and, and we have good precedent for this if you look at, you know, the collected Korean hornbeams that Japan was getting from Korea. Uh, if you look at all of the uh, stuff that they're collecting at Croatia right now, I mean, there's this, this playbook is already pretty well-defined, you know, you, they're collecting something, they're cutting it back very hard, like you said, just to that maybe first level of taper, and then they're growing out the, the you know, rest of the 50%. W- one way to think about it too, conifer, you, you go to Randy Knight, you buy an amazing juniper, uh, whether you graft it or just use foliage that's there, you know, and Five years it looks pretty darn good versus a deciduous you you go to new england you collect a, you know american horn bean you chop it back and you have all these huge cuts that you made with a reciprocating saw you're looking at 10 12 15 years to where it's it's showable so there's still a lot of building involved with, with deciduous plants so it's, it's quite a bit different
1: yeah yeah most definitely one thing that i've really been interested in is is thinking about hey the korean hornbeams those were actually collected deciduous trees whereas a lot Mm -hmm. of deciduous in japan at a very high level are grown over a very long time maybe container grown generally speaking but like ume and korean hornbeam are a couple different trees where they actually collected them and I know those are both quite different different areas that they collected but yeah. one thing I've been trying to study and look up is uh Korean bonsai artists and practitioners and enthusiasts on Instagram
0: Yeah there's, <laughs> and, there's a lot of great ones um,
1: There's some really good ones and it, it's cool to see a hornbeam like more newly collected say in the last 10 years or so and and the progression that they've they've uh made with those trees yeah. in recent times i've been really enjoying doing that recently so cool that you mentioned that
0: yeah 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 it's you know even though the information can be kind of vague or hard to find it's you know these these roadmaps are out there if, if you if you're good about doing some research uh if you want to see what they're doing in croatia look at maria hadik uh look at and Eye on instagram his name's andrea um and they're doing, you know, fantastic work. Walter Paul's blog features a lot of that. Like you said, there's there's a lot of great Korean accounts on Instagram. These these roadmaps are out there for people who want to kind of see the process. And even if you don't like certain aspects of the work that you're seeing, you know, you can at least kind of see the time scale um, on what it takes from big horn bean trunk coming out of the ground. Here's what it looks like after first styling. Here's what it looks like 10 years later. Here it is another five years later in the trophy in Europe. So it's kind of fun to see that roadmap and apply it to what we're doing over here.
1: Absolutely. And a couple great Instagram accounts to follow that I love following along with.
0: <laughs> have you collected any deciduous? I know you do a lot of CRS.
1: I, let's see. um, Nothing. So the closest thing to deciduous that I have collected are oaks. Uh i I haven't actually collected any deciduous i'm trying to think if i'm maybe there was something in there but uh maybe a couple yard trees um but nothing serious up in the mountains or anything like that i i've collected quite a few oaks and mostly coast live oaks that's -hmm. just what i've been able to get permission to go collect yeah Uh, i have one that i i really like and i'm creating a more of a a natural oak style i'd say Mm -hmm. Um, but not a whole lot of deciduous i would love to though i would love to go i feel like the east coast is probably a better location than the west coast for collecting deciduous but would love to go collect american hornbeam american elm uh i don't know a whole bunch of different deciduous species out there at some point in my life
0: yeah yeah I'm, i'm with you on that maybe we should uh we should plan a trip. Um, Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be pretty rad.
1: That would be, that would be I, very I, cool. Yeah, I
0: feel like there's so much potential out there. That's just not being utilized. I mean, you think like people, Michael Hagedor moved here and nobody was using vine maple. You know, Michael was actually one of the first people to use Rocky mountain juniper. Yeah, Boone of course did as well, but yeah, it's, I, I think there's probably a lot of stuff in your backyard, wherever you live that, you know, if, if it just has the right attention applied to it and, uh, some good, uh, taste and, and quality work along the way, then you can make something pretty special with what you have in your backyard.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Great points. I, I feel like it could just take, be as simple as one person yep. finding some really great material in a, in the right area or environment. And then, once people see that and how good that material can be, then a lot of people will follow. And that's happened so many times, just like how you pointed out. So 100%.
0: Yeah, we, we need a lot of people experimenting. We're, we're lucky with Japan. Like if you want species that work well for bonsai, just open a kokofuba because uh, Japan <laughs> Definitely. spent um, hundreds of years <laughs> figuring out what works well. And it's not like there's not thousands of plants in Japan that they don't use for bonsai, but we, we kind of need those experiments happening over here. I, I like the thought of native plants, but I'm not a huge native plant person personally, just because, you know, uh, I, I travel and teach bonsai all around the country. So many native plants that I see are just some of the most diseased and unhealthy plants that I encounter. Uh, you know, we need people, you know, experimenting and, you know, saying, what, what is a good Rocky Mountain juniper that's not going to get phomopsis every year that's going to have nice tight growth what's a good sugar maple or red maple that doesn't get leafs black spot as much and the leaves reduce nicely we we need a few hundred years of experiments to really uh, hone in on that but i'm excited that there's a lot of people doing it
1: absolutely absolutely so very cool well that was a fun little rant i really enjoyed that and (laughs) i'm glad we went down that road
0: (laughs) yeah that was a fun little rabbit hole (laughs)
1: <laughs> awesome cool well if if it's okay uh i might jump back into the questions yeah and uh one thing i, I was curious about is um is there do you have any long-term bonsai related goals
0: yeah just making a lot of nice trees that's 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 the one thing you know i i'm someone who is very competitive and strives for playing at the top of the game. And, uh, you know, for my clients who also have that mindset, you know, we're real, really focused on just building some really special, phenomenal trees. So that's kind of the goal. You know, I, I spent the last, you know, several years building and filling my garden now. Now I look in my backyard and want to get rid of half of the trees back there to try and step up the game or improve them or whatnot, or just let them marinate back there to, 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 to grow out and become interesting with some age but uh yeah it's just kind of kind of taking a taking a moment to be proud of what we got to and uh trying to get to the next step so that's that's the kind of immediate goal you know i'm I'm really glad that uh, jonas and eric are doing the expo because i think showing trees is so valuable for the the community and i'm excited to you know build a a structure with my, my my students and clients uh, to to participate in that over the years, but uh, yeah, just trying to build some really great trees. What, what's your what's your top bonsai goal?
1: <laughs> I think we have very similar bonsai goals. Yeah. I would say mine is pretty much the same. Like I would like a very small collection. Uh, probably I want fifteen large trees that I keep within my personal collection. Yeah. that would be considered amongst the best in the United States of within that specific variety. Like I'd say, like top, probably like top seven in the U.S. So say like I would like you know maybe two Sierra Junipers in the top seven Sierra Junipers within the U.S. That's kind of how I think about it. Yeah, and I'd like maybe fifteen trees in total, fifteen yeah. large.
0: Yeah, that's dope. I I wish I could have. 15 20 maybe more like 25 but i I wish i could have that that few trees uh obviously not counting shoheen, i like that you clarified large trees i I feel like you have 15 large trees and a bench of 100 shoheen and it still feels like you only have 15 trees Uh, but uh yeah no i i think a lot of people look at bonsai you know professional bonsai gardens and they say oh my gosh you have 500 trees back there you know that must be a dream to, to work on 500 trees. And it is fun having that many trees here because I get to work on them with students. I get to show people different examples and different stages of development. I get to show people, you know, hey, I've been working on this tree for 15 years. Here's, here's what it started as. So it's, it's fun to have it for, for that, but I, I do envy all of my clients who can have really, really tight, you know high-end collections at, at small numbers.
1: Um, Solid. Yeah. Yeah. Pluses and minuses to, to both situations there, you know? (laughs) Um, I think uh, I'm glad you have so many great deciduous trees for your students and people to work on. And so that we just have so many examples where we can see high quality deciduous progress over time.
0: Yeah. 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 You know, I, until I started doing this, you know, we didn't really have that, you know, you you could go to a few individuals, you know, Bill Vavanes, Dennis Waitilla, and you could see like a a nice large selection of deciduous plants. Uh, But nobody was really committing themselves to that. And and all of our shows, you know, up until the point where, you know, 90% conifers. And so I really wanted to have like a space that would kind of, counteract that and uh just show people hey here's what 300 beautiful big deciduous trees look like and and share that so they're the type of trees that i love working on you know if i'm going to work for eight hours a day i'd much rather have a pair of scissors in my hand than you know some wire in my hand so the deciduous suits me pretty well but uh yeah it's been a fun journey
1: that's awesome man that's awesome you do have a, a couple, uh, killer Rocky mountain junipers, by the way, uh, Thank you. <laughs> I was looking at some Instagram video or something like that. And I was like, I think it's a little unfair that this deciduous guy has such nice Rocky mountain junipers. Um, yeah. <laughs> I really like both the ones that you have. I- I've seen two of them. Yeah. Uh, you may have more, but you have two absolutely stunning ones.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I have, I, I, I've really, I've, I've had a fun time being close to Randy Knight over the, the last few years. Because I'm not focusing on conifers per se, you know, I, I can be you know incredibly selective in what I'm getting. Uh, I also have some from the Backcountry Boys too. They're, they're, they're great at collecting. Um, but it, it's been fun to, to do that. And of course, I have probably one of my top clients has one of the best black pine juniper collections in the country. And so I do a lot of pine and juniper work and other conifer work. And it's just not necessarily what I have kind of a lot of in my backyard per se. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no. It's I mean, it's I mean, we're it's such a Yamadori boom. It's fun to you know how can you not take advantage of that?
1: Totally, totally. So. It yeah, and yeah. Randy Knight and the Backcountry guys in particular, such incredible collectors. Like we are so lucky to have them. Without them, I. I it, the bonsai world does not look so
0: bright. Yeah, yeah, no, they've 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 been amazing. We, they're the reason that we have you know world class conifers you know, here. 100%. Obviously, there's a lot of people like you who are going out and finding some amazing trees, but to have you know some people who can provide that to more mass market has been pretty valuable for the community. I think, and, and you you see that when you go to the Artisans Cup, when you go to the Pacific Bonsai Expo, and you see these. It's materialized into really, really nice specimens. It's, uh, it it feels good. It feels like we're on the right track.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. So hindsight's 2020. And now after building your bonsai garden and, and, and that whole process, is there anything that you would do differently in terms of building your bonsai garden?
0: I don't think so i i would have maybe done a little bit more shade cloth i am <laughs> adding more shade cloth every single year i'm a big believer in shade cloth e- even for the conifers they're under 20 percent shade cloth right now uh so i would have made i would have made some things a little bit bigger you know my my two shade cloth structures probably gonna have to weld them together uh to, to link them up you know when i when i built the garden here you know it's 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 I view it as a tree. It's it's something that's always going to be developing and, and getting better year after year after year. You know, I, I just used materials that were cheap and kind of readily available and tried to maximize the aesthetic design with the materials that I had access to. But I, I, I dream of maybe one day ripping out all the, the cinder blocks and replacing it with nicer benches. You know, I could see towards the end of my career downsizing to make, making my backyard more of a museum with, you know, 50 to... Hundred just stellar, stellar trees, but I, I think you know I I don't think I would change very much. I I, I think it's just what what's been done has been uh, part of the process, and just allowing that process to happen uh, has been fun. Uh, we could talk a little bit about garden design if you want. You and I just you know built gardens over the last few years. I I kind of thought that like when I was standing on the property and there was nothing there, I would be able to like perfectly envision what the garden would look like and that's totally not what happens at least for me it's like you do one (laughs) thing and then it influences the thing that you do next and then that influences the next thing and it's like this continuing evolving process i I don't know if it's been like that for you
1: oh 100 100
0: (laughs) and i'm sure like you and i are probably similar like you were probably standing there looking at your site trying to like envision it in your head and it's probably different than than how you thought
1: Oh yeah, most definitely.
0: (laughs) But it's it's Um, a fun journey.
1: That's great. That's great. Yeah, it is like a bonsai tree and slowly evolves and changes and hopefully improves over time. Yeah, I was curious. uh, Do you, with the shade cloth structure, do you have different shades different types of trees under different percentages of shade cloth?
0: I I do, but it's not. It's only intentional in one instance, so I I, I initially put up forty percent. Uh, I still have my main structure is at forty percent, but whenever I replace that, I'm going to use fifty. So I have like my first structure is forty percent, my second structure that I built a year later is fifty percent, and then I put a twenty percent over the conifers, or excuse me, the pines and junipers. Uh, this yeah. Year. So so I do have three percentages, but really if I was going to replace everything again, I would just have 20% over pines and junipers, and then 50% over everything else.
1: Yeah. Um, That I, I kind of like that. Um, at Peter's place, he actually has like different tables or excuse me, benches with different varieties of trees. And then he has different percentages of shade cloth, which I think is cool. I mean, that's like, very good for the trees i would say you can really fine tune things that way but at the same time like he can't he doesn't mix mix and match trees so much which is not as fun to me <laughs> like yeah uh so pluses and minuses with both but i i yeah. uh, totally think 50% would be a a great percentage and i don't really know if you need to like you know have every tree under a different percentage of shade cloth
0: yeah. so what, what do you do? you're you're on the central coast right
1: yeah we we have a very mild cli- climate so i have deciduous trees under uh, four, uh 40% yeah and last year i had 30% i think i could go either way i i don't know if i'll see a, a massive difference um and then i don't have my conifers under any it, they're just out in complete full sun yeah i've kind of been thinking about maybe throwing up a light percentage for conifers. I, I feel like actually a question for you. Does it, do you think that the, the color of the conifers improves under a very light percentage of shade cloth?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I do a ton of work in Texas. I, I just got back from Texas where it was, you know, 106 degrees every day I was there. It was miserable. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm a cold person. I like, <laughs> I like being cold, but, uh, Yeah. So, I mean, my, I have two clients in Texas, one, one in uh, Austin, one in Dallas, and they both utilize shade cloth um, for conifers, uh, even, you know, black pine, shampaka, juniper. We use 20%, maybe even 30% in the the peak of the summer. And that, it makes like a huge world of a difference. The needles are greener. You can grow moss on the pots. You know, my, my two, everyone says you can't grow moss in Texas, but my two, clients in Texas have like beautiful lush moss on like every single pot. Uh, And I think the shade cloth, you know, definitely plays a role in that. But yeah, no, I, I've, I've, I've noticed it here. You know, the ones that were positioned in the garden where they had full sun, but like, you know, starting around 4 PM, they get shade and those trees always look better than the ones that were just in full sun, you know, all day, every day. And so this year I put the conifers under 20% and, it, it makes a huge difference.
1: Um, nice, nice. Well, yeah, I'd definitely like to try it and I uh, you, Peter T, Julian I have all kind of recommended to put conifers under a light shade cloth. so yeah I would like to try it. but just another structure I'll have to build.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean you you'd be a great data point because you know I correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't have like a lot of days that are like 90 or 100 degrees right?
1: correct yeah my actually my my weather is very similar to jonas
0: okay so you're super mild so like i would be curious like if shade cloth would actually help you because i i I think of it as like a buffer from the heat and so like it'd be a really interesting data point like if if it actually makes a difference so you should try yeah
1: yep i i would like to (laughs) i switched over to ro water this year i'm this is super tangent but I do think it, it's made a big difference for me personally. However, it when I stuck a PPM or a TDS meter in my just out of the tap city water, yeah. it was very high.
0: Like what's high? Uh,
1: like over th- 300. Oh, geez. Generally speaking. <laughs> and uh, so switching over to the RO, like it's all range anywhere from like 8 to 20, just right out of the RO. But I'll, I'll just add a, a teeny bit of fertilizer in there. Yeah. liquid fertilizer just to bring that up are
0: you using and, like a grow big or a dyna grow or something like that
1: yeah actually both I have both of those <laughs> and the grow big I saw from you actually so mm. thank you for that um
0: yeah I <laughs> have, I have clients who use grow big uh, it's a it's a it's the, I love the name it's so simple <laughs> yeah it's obvious but uh now, grow big is a great fertilizer. It's a liquid fertilizer from a company called Fox farm. You know, I, I don't get paid from them or anything, but, uh, I, I think it's one of the best, like the numbers make a lot of sense. Uh, the macros and the micros on it. I, I have clients who use that in dry climates, humid climates, cold climates, hot climates, you know, just about every corner of the United States. And it's one thing that like just works super, super well for everybody. Uh, and it doesn't stink. It doesn't like promote or, like, uh, it it doesn't you know, provide opportunity for raccoons or dogs or uh, squirrels or anything to destroy your pots. So it's, you know, I, I have a lot of clients who use it exclusively and they're just like, they just rave about it. So it's, it's been fun. Fun to yeah. watch. It's a good product.
1: Good stuff. Good stuff for sure. Yep.
0: But uh, and, yeah. So when did you start using RL? Was that recently? Uh,
1: it's been, let's see. I'm going to say since about last fall. So right around the Pacific bonsai expo time is when I made the switch.
0: Uh-huh. So how and is your spring growth this year? Like, are you seeing a difference?
1: I, I I am most definitely. Everything is just growing really well in the garden. And yeah. I'd say, especially deciduous, just everything yeah. seems to work better. I feel like I even have like less fungal issues. Yeah. And the trees seem way happier, so I'm I'm a definitely a big believer. If you have a high ppm or TDS level,
0: yeah, yeah, we're we're really lucky here. You know, I, I very intentionally chose <laughs> where to build my garden for whether or not just for myself, but for the trees, but uh, also for you know water and access to the airport and good restaurants and good growing conditions. And um, yeah, we're you know I I, I I'm checking tds all the time because i'm making water for the aquarium and so I, I make ro water a lot and uh yeah like going into my ro unit i think i'm like it my tds is like 30 so we, we have nice. great water nice. like it, yeah our unit does not have to work very hard that's solid awesome uh, one, hey. one uh one fun tip for people ro is reverse osmosis and you know it's when you start looking into it, it, it sounds really confusing if you need to set one of these up if you have really bad water. But one of the best things you can do is just like get, like, go to a company called Bulk Reef Supply. It's like the Amazon for saltwater aquariums. You can get a, you know, a, a high quality ROS unit for cheaper than you could a, a now Tokatake or a San Rainer pot. It'd be like 220 bucks, something like that. And then you just plug it into your hose. You're going to have your your good RO water coming out, your wastewater, and you have essentially your problem solved. Hook your your hose up from that reservoir to you know a little pump, and now you have really great water for your trees. So it's it's like a really stupid easy fix that if you live in a place like California or Texas and just have crap water, can make a world of a difference.
1: I'm all about that. Awesome, man. Hey, I was curious going back to your bonsai garden. Mm -hmm. I saw that you made some metal pedestal displays recently. Yeah. I was just curious what that process looked like. I'd like to make some metal ones as well. Yeah. And like, did you weld those yourself or did you have someone do it for you?
0: Uh, I did it with a very good friend, Ed from Copper Creek Bonsai. Oh, cool. Yeah. Ed, Ed has been, uh, he's, he's one of my closest bonsai friends. He, uh, um, has been a huge help in piecing this garden together. He's, he's way more handy than I am. And so him and I built the shade cloth structure. We, we did all of the welding and cutting and, you know, construction ourselves. And, uh, when, when I built my shade cloth structure, I had all of, you know, I needed 20 foot pieces or, or they, they sold the steel in 20 foot pieces. So if I need, only needed 13 feet, you know, I now have this, you know, seven foot scrap piece. And so I took, you know, I had, I don't know, gosh, 25 of those scrap pieces kind of left over from my shade cloth build. Uh, and after building the structure, you know, Ed and I, we really like metal as a material. Like it's just so much better than, than, than uh, wood and cement in a lot of ways. So so I was like, you know, this would be, make a great pedestal. They they sat in my garage, the, the scraps, for a few years because I didn't really know how to piece the uh, – pedestals together but we came up with a really simple idea to where we just take a steel plate for the top we weld a, a smaller piece of square steel tubing to that plate and then we s- just slide it into the pedestal kind of like telescope them both together and and it turned out to be a you know really really great great design uh, i'm really happy with it
1: yeah shoot he might have to, uh, maybe I could hire him to make me some of them.
0: <laughs> yeah, we, we, had, we had joked about making a shade cloth <laughs> business. I don't think it's going to happen, but uh, <laughs> it's quite easy. I mean, like we, we, we got a welder from Harbor Freight and watched, oh, no some, way. watched some YouTube videos, and uh, and that was about it. Um, oh. And of course, Ed is handy, so he's, he's had some experience in the past. But uh, it was kind of like YouTube education to figure out how to do it. And, I did most of the actual welds. And yeah, I did a lot of the cutting. And, um,
1: nice. The what? You, this is maybe a stupid question, but how how do you cut the metal?
0: Uh, super easy, reciprocating saw and a metal blade. That's okay, it. sweet, sweet. Um, yeah, it, that is. It, it takes pretty 10, easy. ten seconds to cut a you know three inch square steel tube that's like three eighths or three sixteenths of an inch. Nice. Okay. Yeah, pretty fast. Do Do you think that they
1: will rust out?
0: Yeah, and that's that's kind of intentional. A lot of the architecture around Portland uses steel. Uh, we have several bridges that are made of steel. There's um, a lot. There's there's an artist in town that you know has these kind of steel uh, installations all throughout Portland. Every time they build, you know, a, a train station for the light rail or build a big intersection or something like they have this guy come in and do something. And so you see a lot of this kind of rusted steel aesthetic in Portland. And so I wanted to kind of tie that into to the garden here. So yeah, the shade cost structure is rusted. Uh, my pedestals have rusted and it's kind of like a fun aesthetic. I, I kind of dig it.
1: I, I really dig it actually. And yeah, I want the same thing in my bonsai garden. So yeah, y- you inspired me. I'm going to have to get a Harbor freight welder, look up some YouTube videos and go from there.
0: Yeah. They don't have to, the welds don't have to be pretty. They just need to be functional.
1: So totally nice. And I like, I like the rusty look more, more wabi-sabi for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So
1: nice. Cool. Well, you know, uh, so I am on the bonsai forum bonsai nut. Yep. And I asked for feedback on my podcast. And one of the feedback was, Maybe I could think about asking like the same four questions every, uh, episode. Yeah. And so I, I figured I'd, I'd take, take them up on that one. So I was hoping I could ask you, uh, a few questions that I I think I'm going to start asking during each episode, if that's all right.
0: Sweet. Let's do it.
1: Awesome. Okay. So the first one is just about what soil medium do you use?
0: I use primarily Akadama. Um, That makes up fifty percent or more of my soil mix. I think probably the best thing you could do, if if we take money out of the equation, is just use a premix like Alki Blend. Or uh, I don't see this much anymore, but I used to be a huge fan of Clay King. But uh, yeah, if money was an issue, I would put everything in the garden, or most things in the garden, and just you know, straight Alki Blend. So yeah, solid, heavy heavy akadama.
1: Very nice, very nice, awesome. I the, the, <clears throat> use the same thing as you for the most part. I, I'll cut it with uh, usually some pumice, sometimes some lava. But for the most part, I like the A- Aoki blend. And I used to use Clay King back in the day. Yeah, Sorry, Clay my dog was is... Great.
0: <laughs> oh, it's good. Yeah, Clay King was great. I wish we could still still get Clay King. I, I should ask Jonas why, why we can't get that these days. But that's what I used uh, in St. Louis uh, when my dad and I were, you know... Just hobbyists for you know the first 10 10-15 years doing bonsai, and uh, yeah, I, I really loved clay king. We got amazing growth out of it, and so yeah, I think the premixes make a lot of sense. They're they're pretty intentional about the ratios that they're putting in them, and the, the trees love it.
1: Totally, totally, very nice. All right, second one we talked about this a little bit already, but what types of fertilizer do you use?
0: I'm a huge liquid fertilizer guy. I uh, I'm big on fish emulsion. I'm big on Grow Big uh, from Fox Farm. Honestly, the, I don't think the, the product matters too much. Just getting the the macro and the micronutrients kind of honed into certain levels, uh, meaning you know numbers under ten, 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 and your your nitrogen should be higher than your phosphorus or potassium. So that first number should be higher. But other than that, you know. You know, I've used, you know, I use miracle grow here that I dilute, you know, one third to one quarter, but fish emulsion is like my constant, that's gone in almost everything. And if you can get away with that without critter problems, without, you know, cats or raccoons or squirrels totally ripping up your pots, then I think it's one of the best things. Ebihara would use uh, fish emulsion every three days. So that's the other thing I'm using liquids and I'm using kind of small amounts but I'm using them pretty frequently.
1: Every three days, that is hardcore. I like yes. it.
0: <laughs> I don't quite do that, but I probably do every five days.
1: Yeah, I love fish emulsion as well. Uh, I was actually surprised to see, and I, I saw a video a YouTube video with you giving a presentation on deciduous bonsai and talking about fertilizing. Mm-hmm. And someone asked you about kelp and mm-hmm. was surprised to hear you say that that you're not too into kelp.
0: You know, I'm not into it just because, you know, I have 500 trees in my backyard and when I spend $500 on kelp, I don't see any difference. So like, that's when I, and let me, let me say this another way. When I was a hobbyist, I used it and I liked it. You know, it it feels good to me to use, but I can't say that I notice a tangible difference in the trees. And when you look at, you know, all the scientific studies, they basically say the same thing. Like, yeah, maybe it helps with your cuttings or, or whatnot. But on the tests they've done on vegetative crops and whatnot, you know, it doesn't increase the yield or anything like that. So it's not snake oil, but it for my backyard with five hundred trees, it's not cost prohibitive. It doesn't it, it doesn't pay for itself.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, I think uh w- one thing with bone size, I, I feel like there's certain things that are very important, and then there's other things that are not very important, like using something like uh, like I, I would like for people to see to see that a lot of people use fish emulsion, but kelp maybe not so important. Or like yeah. for example, horticultural charcoal. It seems like that that one is debated very heavily and maybe not so important. Yeah, uh, but certain things like akadama are important. So. It's interesting that you say that about kelp. I haven't really looked into the studies, but I've, I've used it in the past, but I, I would like to look at more of the lit, literature and see what it says. So. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, I, you know, there there's some great fish emulsion products out there that have kelp mixed into it. And if there's not a huge price difference, you know, I'll buy those because like I said, it feels good to have something with kelp in it for some reason. Maybe they've just been good at marketing that to us over the years and it kind of, you know, it makes sense, you know, ocean nutrition is is always a good thing. But there's a great uh, resource. There's a professor up at uh, Washington State University called uh, Dr. Linda Chalker Scott, who Michael actually references a lot in multi-heresy. But she has a great website through Washington State University called uh, Horticultural Myths or something like that. If you just Google Linda Chalker Scott and horticultural myths a a big thing will come up and so she takes a lot of these things like compost tea and she's like basically here's what people say about compost tea here's what the science actually says and kind of just breaks it down and so she does that with you know foliar feeding um, charcoal uh, seaweed you know all of these kind of big topics in the the horticulture world and she just basically you know says here's what people say here's the science you know take 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 it for what it's worth.
1: Awesome. I'll have to check that out.
0: Yeah, it's a great resource. We're trying to get her to come down for, for BSOP, because She's she's a, a really nice bridge between, you know, functional gardening and the, the scientific community. Very cool. But,
1: but awesome. Okay. Next one would be: how do you manage pest and disease with your trees?
0: Yeah. So I'm a big believer that if you fertilize well you're gonna have very minimal pests and disease. I think most people under-fertilize their, their bonsai. As a professional who travels you know, and works in over a dozen states, sees thousands of trees a year, I would definitely say you know, most trees are under-fertilized. Uh, and so I think we see a lot of, um, that That just causes them to have stress, right? And so if you, your tree is stressed, it's way more prone to to get a pest or, or get some fungal pathogen or something come in and, and take it over. And yeah, so I think, you know, a, a good, you know, going back to the previous question, a good fertilizer regimen fixes a lot of these issues. I do treat prophylactically for pests. I like to use Bear, which I guess the company now is called BioAdvance, they have a, just a great product called Tree Shrub. And then the main main chemical in there is aminochloropid, which is a very benign product. I like to use it because it's relatively safe for mammals. You know, it's the same chemical that Bailey, my golden retriever, gets for fleas and ticks. You know, I think they even put it in lice shampoo or something like that. So it's, it's like, it's probably not good. And you probably don't want to go take a shot of it, but you know, it's relatively safe to be around. And so, so I, I use amino chloropid or, or bio-advanced tree shrub, uh, prophylactically for insects. Uh, if I have flowering plants, which I have a lot of those in the garden, uh, I'll wait to do it after they flower so that I'm, you know, protecting the honey, honeybees. I have a lot of neighbors with bees. So just to be conscious of that, but, um, yeah, I have, you know, almost no pest disease in the garden, which is, Nice to say. And like I said, I think a lot of that is just a good fertilizer regimen. With, with fungal uh, pathogens or bacterial diseases, you know, if I have a known problem, if my camellia was getting black spot religiously every year, then I would probably prophylactically treat for that. Or if you're rocking mountain juniper is getting Phomopsis or cavatina, you know, prophylactically treat for that. But if you don't have a known kind of problem, I don't like spraying the, the fungal. Uh, fungicides very much because a lot of those are pretty detrimental for human health.
1: For sure. Gotcha. Cool. Thank you so much. Yeah. And then I guess the last of these questions would just be, do you have, or or what tips might you give to a new bonsai enthusiast? Uh, Just generally speaking, and in terms of uh, improving as a bonsai enthusiast and artist and, crafts person
0: yeah yeah assuming you want to do this at a really high level i think the best piece of advice i can give you is find someone who's making really good trees and just study with them or just copy them kind of religiously uh, and there's there's a lot of different you know aesthetics floating around you know, amongst me and my colleagues and so you know there's there's a there's a boat for everybody but uh you know i think when people bounce around too much that's when you you tend to see people who kind of get to a point and then don't really get anywhere past that. And I think the best way to learn is just find a really good teacher and, uh, just kind of commit your, commit yourself to their way of doing things. Uh, and I think if, if you can just stick with them for five, 10 years, you know, you'll, you'll be kind of light years ahead. Uh, a good analogy is like food, right? Like if you want to be a, a good chef, like don't go work at McDonald's, like go wash dishes for, you know, Thomas Keller at the French laundry and just like be around like the best environment that you possibly can be because your, your learning will be exponential that way. Uh, I guess another piece of advice is, you know, you can learn a lot staring at a computer screen, but, uh, you can fail a hundred percent in application when you go and take that to an actual tree. And so I think in-person learning with workshops, intensives, even club meetings for demonstrations, you know, you're going to learn 50 times more when you're doing something hands on or seeing something, you know, in person with your own eyes versus looking at something on a screen. Uh, it's not that looking at something on a screen isn't helpful. You know, I'm, I'm someone who studies what they're doing in Japan from afar pretty intensely. You know, I, I go to Kokafu once a week, uh, on YouTube and see, you know, the last 10 Coca-fus, 10s, Tens, Taikon 10s, you know, you know I, I study those pretty intensely but you know i'm also working on trees eight hours a day and i, I think that's the important thing is you know get off the screen and uh, actually do bonsai with your hands get in someone's garden who's doing really top quality trees that's that's the best way to learn
1: i uh, love that love that yeah i don't care how many hours of bonsai you listen to you watch uh if if you actually have never wire on a bonsai tree like i don't care how many hours you've spent watching it like you just your wire will just not look that great when you put it on
0: yeah it's (laughs) meaningless like all of that stuff is just like totally meaningless like you learn more wrapping wire on a tree for one hour than you do watching a 100 hours of videos how to do it
1: and 100
0: yeah and i'm 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 getting into these reef aquariums too and you know i'm setting up my first one and it's like you know I've, i've i'm the person who has like literally watched hundreds of hours of video on how to do it. And then like, you go to actually like hook, hook up all your plumbing and whatnot. <laughs> it's like, Oh crap. I don't know anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and so it, it's the same with trees. Like just find someone at either a club or an individual that you can kind of work with and just kind of get there in person. because your your learning will just be exponential that way.
1: Absolutely. What kind of, what kind of fish are you putting in that aquarium?
0: Oh gosh, um, I'm putting in, I have a lot of tangs right now, uh, surgeon fish, but the goal isn't actually fish. The goal is corals. Like the fish, oh, are cool. just there. like, I mean, they're fun because they move around, but, you know, they're, they're, they're fun to watch. But like the, the epitome of like a reef tank is like corals, especially like Acropora coral. Uh, so I'm, I'm doing for, for all of those reef tank people out there, I'm doing an SPS Acropora dominated tank. <laughs> uh, and, and it's interesting coral is actually an animal like it has a it's kind of like lichen where it has a symbiotic relationship with a with a plant uh, but it, it's technically an animal and so like huh. that, that's like the peak of, of a reef tank it's just like the fish are just there to like basically just poop and, and provide nutrients for the coral <laughs> growth
1: yeah um, that's so cool i hope you will post some videos of your tank Uh, i'll happily follow along with that
0: yeah probably should it you know it's interesting like it's it's you know reef tanks really are they like the aquatic version of bonsai you know one of the interesting things about like the reef aquarium hobby uh like their version of bonsai nut is a forum called reef to reef and uh it's interesting because like the professional community is very very active on reef to reef like all the top youtube stars all the top Um, coral growers all the top um, you know fish quarantine experts all these people are like very active on the forum answering beginners questions whatnot it's it's been kind of interesting to compare that to what you know how bullseye as a hobby kind of operates because we kind of seems like the more serious people tend to neglect the forums on average yeah Uh, yeah they do yeah i've
1: yeah, I've I've been uh, very interested in forums for a long time. Before bonsai, it was all about poker. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> I was like a semi-pro poker player before bonsai. Nice, I and know. I was on the the two plus two forums all the time. Had an insane number of posts there, but there was a lot more professional involvement there. I, I'm I wonder like why bonsai professionals are not on the forums. I guess there's not really a reason for them to be. Yeah. Uh, I think it'd be awesome if they were, but also I, I am a r- realist and I understand that like if you're a bonsai professional, you need to earn money to keep the lights on and be able to feed your family.
0: Yeah.
1: And spending time on a forum might not be the best use of your time. Yeah. So there's gotta be a reason to be on the forum. And I just don't think that we have that reason.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I don't think bonsai people tend to sell products as much, you know, in frame world, you're, you know, you have That's people true. selling fish, selling frag, frags, you know, small pieces of coral selling equipment. And so like when you have a product to sell, I think it makes a lot of sense, you know, have a YouTube channel, have the, be, be active on the forums, interact with customers. But like when your product is like a $10,000 tree, like there's, you're not really <laughs> going to be speaking to the you know, masses. And so, yeah, maybe that's why a lot of our multi-professionals have stayed away.
1: That makes sense. That makes sense. Gotcha. Yeah, I do think forums are are can be cool and uh, it, there's yeah. a f- different bonsai forums out there. I feel like not one of them has like really taken over as like the number one, I guess, bonsai nut would probably be that. Yeah. But there's a few different ones and
0: yeah. I I love, I I haven't been on the forum in gosh, probably six months, but I love just every now and then going on my net, seeing what people are saying, kind of, it's a great kind of, uh, I don't know. It's a great data point to kind of see what the community is saying, what the community is thinking. Yeah, for sure. So I do, I do keep an eye on it when I, when I think about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Hey, is your dad into, uh, saltwater or
0: saltwater aquariums as well? Uh, he's. I, I'm kind of getting him into it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he'll, he'll be, uh You know, I do a lot of travel for work, and so unfortunately, my hobbies tend to be his hobbies. Yeah, he's taking care of them. <laughs> but no, I think he has genuine interest in it, uh, which is very cool. So, it, it's a fun thing to have, like in the living room, just like, you know, something active going on. So.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always thought it would be cool. So cool. I still want to do this someday. I want a saltwater aquarium bar. And I, I like don't even drink that much these days. But yeah. <laughs> I still think it would be so cool to have a bar that you could sit at and it's just saltwater aquarium. You can look at it from different angles. Yeah. I think that would be rad.
0: Yeah, that'd be super cool. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but uh, I uh, I cu- I got a chance to meet your dad for the first time at the Pacific Bonsai Expo. Uh-huh. And uh, I also... I joined, like on Facebook, I joined the BSOP, I don't know, community group or something like that. And he posts like very, very frequently and I absolutely love following his posts. And I'm kind of jealous that your dad is so into bonsai and I really want to get my dad into bonsai now. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's so cool (laughs) that you guys can just have that relationship and have a common interest
0: yeah, no, it's great. I mean, I, we couldn't do the things that we do here without him being in, into it, you know, if, if I didn't have him to help with the trees to, to take care of them while I'm away, it, this would be a very different garden. So I'm very thankful. He, he puts in a lot of work. Last few months, you know, he's been working in the studio you know, with me or working in the studio when I'm away, you know, from nine in the morning till two in the afternoon. And so he's he's just been a huge, huge help around the garden. So yeah, this place doesn't function without him. He he he's he's a little bit more extroverted than I am. So he loves uh, giving tours of garden when we, we get you know several visitors a week. So yeah, he's I'm very, very thankful that, that he's here and helping out.
1: Yeah. Shout out to your dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thank you. That's awesome. Very cool. Yeah, I, I really enjoy his posts on the BSOP uh, community group. He's posting really cool pictures all the time and takes a lot of time to add a lot of detail into those posts. And uh, I'm, I'm just jealous that you guys are both super into that. And I am I have a great relationship with my dad. I want to try and get him into bonsai, but he, he hasn't gotten there yet. So yeah.
0: I'm going to <laughs> keep trying. Keep trying. It's worth it.
1: Yeah. Awesome.
0: Yeah, it's it's kind oh, of fun. It's like it'll be like I'll be walking around the garden and be like, "Where'd this pot come from? Like, where's where'd this like really nice <laughs> pot or where'd yeah this, um, come from?" because like, oh, yeah, "I bought that." It's like, "Oh, cool!" Uh, <laughs> like, just showed up. <laughs>
1: yeah, kind of fun. I'm also jealous that uh that you're so close to now, and uh you 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 seem to have access to his containers on a regular basis. I think because you guys are such good friends and. You live so close to him. Yeah. He's just yeah, got no, no, just the coolest.
0: Yeah. coolest now, spots. Now is, now is absolutely fantastic. You know, I, I really, really admire his work. You know, having a, a, a Potter friend, you know, now and I have like a, a good relationship where if he makes something that has like a hairline crack or something that's not really sellable. Him and I will do a trade or something, you know, or, or work to, for it. So I have like a lot of like pots that have cracks in them that you'll never see. Like maybe they're on the bottom or, or something. And I have all like the the mistakes where the glaze didn't come out right, or you know the customer was supposed to be green now it's blue. The customer didn't want it. And and I will say there's a lot less of those pots these days because now is really fine tuning things. But uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of the pots in my my garden are um, things things that he he didn't want to sell or. Um, or, or, special commissions, you know, I work with now a lot for special commissions for special trees, um, have a tree hopefully going in the next expo that we, we just did a pop for. So it, it's been really fun to, to collab with him. He's, he's really, really incredible guy. Uh, one of the smartest people that I know in, in Bolteye and, uh, yeah, we're, we're lucky as a community to have him. He's, he's doing some real high level stuff.
1: Yeah. And he just keeps getting better and better and coming out with just cooler glazes and more refined technique. And it's just so fun to watch and to watch him develop. And I'm so, I, I think the bonsai community in North America is just so lucky to have him here.
0: Yeah, we are. You, you have a few of his pots, don't you?
1: You know, I only have one right now.
0: The, the one and, the uh,
1: yes, a redwood is in it. And I, I would like to increase the number of pots that I have from him though. hundred percent. Yeah. So, Hopefully, I can convince him to to make some more pots for me.
0: Well, if you're listening to this, you know they, uh, the the Na- the U.S. National Bonsai Exhibition is a few months away in September. I think Now is bringing two to three hundred pots out there. So if, if you need some Now pots, that that's your opportunity. Go go support the national show and pick some up there because he's he's bringing some really really cool stuff this year.
1: Yes, and buy them quickly.
0: Yeah, buy them quickly. <laughs> they're, they're Saturday morning standard line. Yes, it'll be worth it.
1: They'll be gone for sure, yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah. cool. Well, uh, you know, Andrew, and and please cut me off at any point in time. We're at an hour twenty right now. Do you want to? Di- can we dive into deciduous stuff? Or are you Good. um yeah, pressed for time?
0: That. Let's let's do it. Okay,
1: awesome, awesome. All right, so I had some deciduous questions for you. First question was, why might you not want deadwood on most deciduous bonsai?
0: Yeah, I, you know, I think if you're going to have deadwood, it should be pretty intentional. And, you know, deadwood on deciduous doesn't really manifest itself in terms of gin, you know, dead branches. Uh, It's more so manifests itself in shari where, you know, rotted trunks or something like that. And generally when we think of a nice mature deciduous tree, we don't think of it having a lot of those gnarly qualities. So, I think most of the time that's why we don't see a lot of Deadwood and why we probably don't want it most of the time. But if you are trying to evoke, you know, tortured, you know, orchard tree uh, that's, you know, keeps on flowering and fruiting even though it's like on the brink of its life, you know, like an ume, then I think it makes a lot of sense. And, and I don't think you can't have it, but. I, I like working with the momentum that the plant has. And if you have like a nice scarless trunk that, you know, looks very idealized, you know, probably doesn't make sense to have a lot of deadwood. But if you're pulling out some crazy, you know, American beach from the hillside and, you know, beavers chewed it down, it has some gnarly rottenness, I, th- I think it's totally kosher to embrace that. But yeah, I, I if you're, I, I think it makes more sense with, with Yamadori to have it. But if you're building a tree, uh, it's a lot harder to, to build in some of those gnarly characters uh, or characteristics yeah what, what nice do you, yeah do you, like, do you like deadwood on deciduous i, I know you're an ume <laughs> fan so you probably got <laughs> that, that ume bias
1: yeah well you know i i think it really depends and i guess the way that i've always kind of thought about it and i definitely agree with you on all those points that you just made um i kind of think about it in terms of the hardness of the actual wood that you're working with. Yeah. And I don't know, like, please tell me if what you think about this, if you think I'm thinking about this in the correct way, whereas like a Japanese maple has very soft wood where if you had gin and shari, it just wouldn't last very long. Whereas an Ume has a much denser hard wood. And the Jin and Chari is more likely to stick around and be more of, of a permanent part of the tree, whereas like with the Japanese maple, it's the opposite of that. And eventually, you're just going to get rot. I guess for me, like definitely with Ume, with some of the more some of the Prunus family uh, trees that we use for bonsai, mm-hmm. I think it makes sense. However, with Japanese maple, I feel like. and and many other deciduous trees with softer wood, I just feel like uh, holes in the tree or scars, they just worry me that water could get in there and and long-term there could be a lot of rot in the interior of the tree, which will really destroy the tree long-term. And so that's kind of the way that I generally think about it. What do you think? Is that the right way to
0: think about it? I I mostly agree. I mean, I think we would need, my impression is I'm not sure the wood hardness is very different between like a maple and like brunis. But I think more just thinking about how they grow, like you don't often see like, when was the last time anyone saw a Japanese maple, like in a landscape with a lot of dead wood versus like, I drive around my neighborhood and I see apple trees that are just, you know, totally beat to shit. And like, you know they're old and not maintained, and they still keep growing those strong water sprouts and trying to flower and fruit. and you know, even though the tree's half dead, like they're still like hanging on. I, I, I think like the Japanese maples would have just been dead by then. <laughs> like, I think they just mm-hmm. throw on the towel a little bit earlier. Maybe I'm just thinking about that wrong. But I mean, yeah, you're you're right. Like when you have uh, deadwood on deciduous the deciduous wood does not have the resins in it like the conifers have to to last for three, four, five hundred years. And so, you know, all wood on a deciduous, whether it's an Ume or whatnot, it's gonna rot. Uh, I don't think it rots. I don't think you you see too much difference between the species. No, well I say that, you know, there are some things like birch that rot away pretty fast. But but I think, you know, in terms of how I think about it, it's more like if do I naturally see something like this? and if I do, then there's a way to preserve the deadwood without it rotting away. Do I not naturally see that, then then maybe I don't go for that.
1: Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. I like that. I, I still do think like certain tri- types of deciduous trees, if there is a big scar in that trunk, I'm just worried about rot. Uh, over the long term you know and yeah
0: no no you totally should be yeah i can't tell you how many trees that i've had to fix because they weren't healed over properly someone didn't believe in cut paste or something dumb like that and so that they have this huge cut on the tree that's totally rotted out when the tree's like a very traditional looking tree it's not supposed to be rotted and you know i have to dig out a huge cavity fill with cement you know i work on dozens of these trees every year that weren't handled properly in the past and we have to, you know, fixing those mistakes. is not, it, it's not hard, but it's pretty time consuming. and For sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. If you, know, any, any hole on your tree, any open wound with a broadleaf plant, if you don't treat that well, then just be prepared for rot down the trunk because it will happen. Water will find yeah. a way in. It always finds a way in and uh, it'll happen. So try and, you know, use cut paste. and and heal those wounds as quickly as possible. If you don't want that cavity and and rot.
1: Definitely. Definitely. Going back to the, to the Ume. Yeah. What do you think about an Ume with no deadwood or shari?
0: I mean, so I have several of them, right? I think a lot of us do in America because we're, we're trying to build our Ume rather than find them like they are in Japan. You know, in Japan, Ume is a really important plant for New Year's, along with pine and bamboo. Uh, You see it in a lot of arrangements for New Year's. You see it kind of minimized in Japanese art and culture. And so culturally, it's like a very significant plant. And so there's a lot of people, you know, if they have the luxury of having like a patio or something like that, that might have an old ume tree in a pot that's not necessarily a a bonsai, but uh, just, you know, a plant that's been sitting on the front porch for three generations because it is it is a culturally significant plant. And that's where a lot of the ume that you'll see in Kokofu, that's where they come from is, you know, someone like Shinji Suzuki walks by and says, hey, I'll give you $1,000 for that, you know, potted plant that you guys neglect and don't care about. And then he does five years worth of work and it's an amazing, amazing tree now in Kokofu. And so, like, we don't really have that. And so, like, I miss that aesthetic when I see the ume that i have in, in my garden or ume i see around the the u.s they, they don't have those that natural character that we see from the ume and Kokufu. and for me i think that special character is what makes ume worth it because they are a terrible plant for bonsai like if, if they like <laughs> they're a great found object but they are a terrible plant for bonsai what i mean by that is like they, they are not reliable. Like maybe last year you defoliated it and it's totally fine. This year you defoliate it, half the branches die. Mm. Like it's not consistent. Maybe you wire the branches and like a quarter of them die for no reason. It's not like bulletproof in terms of getting it to flower. Like it's just every time you tell Ume to do something, it's like, it's like that rather than being like a really obedient dog that just says, yes, like a trident maple or a Korean hornbeam, it's it's a cat and it's like no i'm i'm going to do the opposite of what you told me <laughs> and uh, so i i think ume is a terrible terrible plant it's such a pain in the butt to grow but <laughs> when you see the ones in kokedama or in japan that this amazing deadwood this old craggy bark the the, the contrast the, the the counterpoint between that and the, the the really nice flowers they're amazing but they're terrible for bonsai
1: yeah you know, it's very interesting. So, and I, I think that we have, we both have an Ume from a, a specific source. And yeah. so I'm,
0: an they're eBay probably, Ume. what was that? An eBay Ume, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a lot, yeah. For those listening, like there was like a time like four or five years ago <laughs> where this one guy had these magical Ume trunks on eBay for not too expensive. And I think you and I both bought one of those. Yep. so that's my most
1: problematic one and i have i've had like three different varieties of ume Uh and that one is the worst that one just dies like certain branches will just die on it but like other parts are just growing super vigorously and if it flowers too much on a specific branch it will that branch will die back which is just a giant pain
0: i i had that experience this year like flowered the best that it ever did and then half branches just died it's like yeah
1: crap so but my other two are like way more reliable like they'll flower and then the branch will live and i can cut it back and it does what it's supposed to do and
0: i'm I'm pretty sure our ebay umes um are the they're the the fruit like more fruiting variety rather than like ornamental variety i think you're right Um, so we should probably if we were smart we would graft our nice ornamental varieties on onto that
1: yep 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 so i do think yeah i think that uh variety really matters for sure but uh in in terms of like the deadwood on ume i i do really love good gin and chari on a on an old ume and that old craggly bark however at aichian uh they have one ume in particular that there's almost no deadwood maybe no deadwood at all and it was started by, uh, from seed by I believe the the original, uh, the it, <laughs> original person that that started at IGN. So sev- it's several generations now, but uh, I think it's over a hundred years old. This tree, oh, and wow. when I was there back in 2015, there was almost no dead order or no dead wood on it. And it was just this massive, really cool tree. And ever since then, I've wanted to create an ume with no deadwood. That was just a really nice tree. Uh, But I I don't see those very often. And uh, I guess testament to them for not having deadwood on it, because I think it's hard to keep an ume in that condition because they seem to want to die and Mm -hmm. uh, they they want that gin and chari on them almost. (laughs) That's just their natural tendency and
0: characteristic. Yeah. I I just looked it up. I know this tree pretty well. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a fun one. Uh, There's, there's probably a handful. I'd say like one out of every 20 Ume that I see in Japan are are like this where they don't have, you know, any Jin or Shari. They're just more old trunk. Um, and you can tell, like, I think those are like the more like grown ones rather than found ones. Yeah, Um, for sure. It's it's more aesthetic. I mean like that, you just get more bark which is like it's hard to argue yeah. with ume bark it's nice stuff
1: totally um, totally
0: but yeah i i i have a love hate relationship with ume it's the nicest thing in the garden when it's flowering and <laughs> yeah of looks like crap the rest of the year
1: yep that's true
0: <laughs> but that's funny uh, yeah bonsai bonsai can be seasonal so that's,
1: that's yeah most definitely. What's your favorite, uh, ume flower, would you say? Like, do you like double flowering? Do you like pink, red, white?
0: I, I'm a, I'm a single flower, but the white, although I appreciate it, I, I do like a little bit of color. So I like the pinks and the reds. Like, I like kobai. I, I think kobai is one of the, my favorites.
1: Nice. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. I like the single flower as well. And, uh, I like variety, so yeah. I'll take, I'd like one one white one light pink and one red yeah I'd be happy
0: <laughs> no, that's, that's a good mix um cool I, I lined I lined my uh my driveway yeah I'm in, I'm on a subdivided lot so I'm like way off the street uh, and so I have like a hundred foot driveway going down to the street and so I lined it with I think I have maybe 15 ume out there different varieties which has been kind of fun every year they're kind of trash trees in the landscape too they don't grow (laughs) predictably (laughs) compared to other trees but um, yeah it's 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 fun to have a bunch of them around
1: that's great that's great nice well speaking of deciduous wounds Mm -hmm. how do you any tips for generally just just healing deciduous wounds
0: yeah two things number one use the Use well, use cut paste, and not just use cut paste, but use the right cut paste. All of the cut pastes are not created equally. You know, different ones have different ingredients. in them. Uh, the the main two that I I, I really like, and, and I'm a big fan of liquid cut paste, um, just for their ease of application and their their cost effectiveness. But uh, you know, the I like the orange stuff called Top Gin. It's basically Elmer's glue, but it has some fungicide in it. So I use this on, you know, it's kind of my default cut paste. I'll use it on uh, pretty much every single stub cut that I make just to, you know, present or, or prevent uh, pathogens from getting into the plant. But I also use it on things that callous really well, like a maple uh, or a beech. Uh, things that callous really strongly on their own that don't need any help. This is uh, the top gin. the orange stuff is a really good cut paste for just keeping the fungus out, but letting the tree kind of naturally heal itself without getting moisture in and rotting the wood beneath it. The other cut paste I use a lot is called Kuchi, And both of these you can find uh, at Jonas uh, Bonsai Tonight. I, I buy all my supplies from Jonas. He has a great store. And uh, the Kirikuchi, it's an olive green liquid cut paste. Kirikuchi has a lot of uh, g- growth hormone, probably gibberellic acid in it. Um, Funny enough, that's the same uh, compound that's in uh, rooting hormone. And we essentially want rooting hormone um, or our cuttings and our uh, big wounds to do the same thing. We, we, we want callus tissue. Gibberellic acid, which is in rooting hormone, all it does is promote a callus. And from that callus we have indifferentiated tissue that can grow root. And so with uh, this this Kirikuchi cut base, it has a lot of gibberellic acid in it. So for things that don't healed very well on their own. Things like a ginkgo. You know, I've closed three inch diameter wounds on a ginkgo with uh, Kirikuchi uh, in just a couple of years. And so for everything that someone tells you it's impossible to heal, Kirikuchi will heal it. So that's a great cut face. So I think that the type of cut face matters a lot. You know, if you use Kirikuchi on a maple, be prepared to have like an enormous, tumorous looking callus uh, that comes out especially if the tree is really aggressive and, and young and vigorous. So uh, using the right cut paste, always using cut paste, but using the right one really matters. Uh, the second part to that is uh, re-agitating wounds. So oftentimes a callus will kind of grow. It will kind of close the wound maybe 30%, and then it kind of stops. And so maybe you know, net, you know one year after you do the initial wound work or treatment, uh, coming in with pick or something and just getting a nice little sliver all you need is just a really tiny microscopic little bit but a little sliver of green all the way around that room, uh, wound 360 degrees that can really re-stimulate re-agitate that callus and you know, put fresh cut paste on and, and it will jump start the healing uh, so usually most wounds that are you know over an inch in diameter need two or three kind of reagitations to really get them to fully close but yeah, that's that's kind of my my big wound cut philosophy. And yeah. That works pretty well here.
1: Some great info there. Thank you very much. Yeah. I was was curious. I I've been using Kirikuchi. kuchi. Uh one thing that a couple things that I found a little bit challenging with it. So one is like getting a thick enough layer on there. Uh-huh. Uh and then two is uh is actually removing it. like once it's done its thing
0: yeah
1: um or or maybe it hasn't done its thing and you just want to remove it and re score that uh the scar tissue or or wound yeah any tips for that like i i've almost wondered if i should be putting on multiple layers of it to make sure it's like thick enough because i it's it's fairly liquidy when you put it on
0: yeah it can be especially if your, your cut is is in any way wet it can be a little runny I always, you know, it's always best to put cup base on with a paintbrush because you can like thoroughly apply it without overdoing it. And so I I'll always use a paintbrush, but I, I haven't had too many issues with it, you know, dripping off or anything like that. As long as, you know, the plant is wet before cup base is applied. But if the plant is wet in any way, just taking you know, letting it dry off for half an hour or so before you put it on work pretty well. Uh, but the paintbrush works for me um, as far as it kind of staying on there. I haven't uh, had that experience. I, I, I do think it eventually, I don't know if it washes away over time or whatnot, but I, I, I have seen big wounds that I've healed that, you know, I come back three, four years later and I, I don't see it uh, ah. anymore.
1: Cool. So Very nice. Very nice.
0: Uh, but they do, if, if, if the, the liquid is giving you trouble. Kiri Kuchi also has a putty version that oh. this is now selling, and so if you want, you know, that same intensity of, of hormone uh, in a putty, that that works great.
1: Very cool. I should look into that. And I, I have not used a paintbrush to put it on. I always just kind of squeeze it on and move, you know, move my hand around. Yeah. I don't touch it. I know you're not supposed to touch it with my finger. I mean, but uh, I, I I'll try a paintbrush. That, that might work well, actually, thinking yeah. about
0: it. Yeah, paintbrush works well. It's a little annoying because you've got to clean it afterwards. You know, but uh, it, it works really well for application. Great tips. Cool.
1: All right, next question. So if you could snap your fingers and magically get 30 years of development on one tree, and we're starting with uh, uh, starting from scratch. So, seedling, cutting, mm-hmm. air layer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What type of tree would you pick? And do you have any idea what you would want that tree to look like?
0: Yeah. Um, you know, Japanese maples are probably one of my all time favorites. And so, like, if I could go back 20 years in time and, you know, start a bunch of young trees, I'd probably start a bunch of like the Sojo Japanese maple. Uh, of different forms of, you know, either informal upright, single trunks or, you know, clump style, uh, Dachi, you know, what I, when you ask a question like that, I always think of like, what do I have a deficit of in the garden right now? I, I have a lot of Japanese maples, so I'm not sure I would do that today. Although it would be nice to have more to sojo. But, uh, the main thing that I, I feel that I have a lack of in the garden right now is cascades you know, we always think of deciduous trees as being upright. And of course, you know, cascade is kind of like, it doesn't really make sense for most deciduous trees, you know, deciduous trees tend to just grow up. (laughs) Um, but, uh, once you get a garden of like 200 large upright deciduous trees, you start noticing like, Hey, I don't have any cascades or semi cascades here. So like, I don't have a lot of space, but something I I'm thinking about doing is starting, you know, a bunch of Japanese maple cascades or Ume cascades, or, you know, there, there's a few species that, that work well for it. So that's, that's kinda, but I always try to think of what, what gaps do I have you know, or like unusual species is another thing. Like, you know, I would love to see more Gumi, Ellie Agnes. Ooh. Uh, yeah. And so they they grow aggressively. I, I don't. I, I I think Gumi is like the next by Like it's, it's like someone just needs to start marketing that. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I love Gumi. Yeah. It's, yeah. Now I think this is a cool plant. You can grow it in all fifty states. It's it's. Uh, yeah. It's a good one. Now
1: now, are, would you say the majority because uh, Gumi, It's both this. Oh, well, there's deciduous varieties and evergreen varieties, right? There are. And is one or the other more common?
0: Yeah. Because I'm not sure. Eliagnus pungens is by far the most common as far as what they use for bonsai in Japan. And that one is more that one is more of a broadleaf evergreen. Uh, there's another one that they use. Uh, let's see. What, what do they call it? Eliagnus. Uh, blanking on the the species name. Uh, but the other one that you'll commonly see in Coca-foo, uh Or less commonly than pungins. but uh the other one that you see is kind of semi deciduous so it will like drop huh. you know three quarters of its leaves and then i think what they do in kofu is they just defoliate the rest uh, nice that one has like a, a longer skinnier leaf kind of similar uh to like a magnolia Had The 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 spotting or the freckling on the leaves is a little less intense
1: yeah beautiful so, plant oh so nice plant great berries little silverberry things
0: yeah yeah they're, they're absolutely beautiful plants I, I wish wish we had more gumi uh, or Agnes around they, and they grow so fast like that's the, the mind-blowing thing of why we don't have them like if, if i was going to be a grower that would be like you know, i would only grow probably like five plants and that would definitely be one of the five
1: nice nice oh i want to get some now
0: yeah uh, to... mettawinga sells uh cuttings of them um, Wow, that's 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 nice. what i have on uh, my my starter ones from
1: solid solid yeah. awesome i'll have to i will have to get some from him
0: i, I i'd imagine they grow pretty well down by you
1: yeah yeah i'm
0: sure they would yeah yeah we need more gummy especially for shoheen. like that is like one of the biggest deficits in the shoheen, american Shoheen world is uh you know we just do not have hardly any broadleaf evergreens which you're so, so important in making like a, a Fuji box stand display. Totally, totally. So, so if if, if you're growing shohin, you know, start a batch of gumi. Uh, Jeremiah and I will we buy them off you. down
1: Hundred percent, hundred percent. Oh man, I'd love a a big one too. So anyone out there got a big, nice one, I'll, I'll buy it from you.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. You don't see too many of them around. I, I got lucky. I, I found a nice big trunk that came to the garden last year. And, ah, uh, nice. They're pretty Do rare. you know the
1: history behind
0: yours? Yeah, it was, uh, it was imported by the Kennett collection. It had a ton of damage, like the top of it, like broke off when they, they sold it. Uh, and so I had a client who got it, you know, like half of his tree showed up. Um, And so they were great about, you know, refund and whatnot. Um, But like, it was basically this huge Ume stump. And so we've been kind of developing it and him and I did a trade for it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, I I can't believe how fast they grow. Like you can grow, like I I grew a sacrifice branch, that like two inches in diameter in like a year and a half. Wow. They put on a lot of wood really fast. So nice. It it it'd be it for those people who are impatient uh, about growing, like it'd be a good one because you'd make a lot of progress in a short time.
1: Very cool, very cool. I'm glad you got that tree. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, it'll, it'll be fun to play with. Um, coming to an expo in like 12 or 15 years.
1: <laughs> Solid.
0: Yeah. You said Solid. you said you don't have any gumi.
1: No, I don't have any, and I need to change that. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, 100%. I'm sure they'll do great here. We have a, mild, a fairly mild climate and they, they seem pretty hardy from what I've seen. Um, yeah, and they're tough. just gorgeous.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Awesome, man. So, one question that I have for you is uh, really, what is the goal with deciduous bonsai? And I heard you on uh, Ryan Neal's podcast and, and you were talking about maybe the goal is not to make a ancient-looking deciduous bonsai tree. And I, I think that's really interesting. And I, I uh like to think of like an analogy with people, and I kind of think of deciduous bonsai as like if it if deciduous bonsai were a person, uh-huh. we would be trying to show the person when they are in their prime. So maybe I think of like a fitness model or like a, a bodybuilder in his prime. Yeah. That's like the goal that I picture what I'm trying to do with deciduous bonsai. I'm curious if you would agree. And if you use any other analogies or if you think that that is kind of what you're going for.
0: Yeah. I would say a little, little older. Uh, I would say more like that 50, 60 year old who's about to retire. That's kind of (laughs) kind of the goal that I go for with deciduous. I I like mature. You know, I think if if you look at a deciduous tree that's like on its way out, like ancient and dying, they don't look good. Like it's not a pretty sight. And you can make an artistic argument for wanting to showcase the, the death of a tree. I think that's a reasonable avenue to pursue. You know, Dan Robinson is really into that dying aesthetic. Um, and I think for conifers, you know, ancient plays more of a role, but you know, you don't really see ancient broadleaf trees very often. Uh, and there are, there are exceptions, you know, probably oaks are the one exception where full on, you know, ancient looks really beautiful. We see that in the live oaks in the Southeast United States, but a lot of them, they're not like, they're not like dying, even though they're ancient. Like you don't see like half the canopy dead or something. They're still full, beautiful trees. Um, and so, yeah, with with my, my goal for deciduous is, is not to have it look like it's on hospice, you know, about to die. I like mature kind of feeling, you know, full silhouette, dense branching, old features in the, the core of the trunk, but, you know, still very full and, and healthy and vigorous. So, yeah, I'm not sure I would do like 30, 40 year old. I feel like I have like a lot of like 30 year old fitness models and their prime. They're like <laughs> too strong and they're like flexing too much. And like the internodes are too big and I'm trying to get them slid down a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd say like good deciduous bonsai is mature, not ancient.
1: Nice. Nice. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. And I think you're right. I think too, uh, we're not trying to show too, too young. Um, yeah. so I was trying to think of a, a human analogy in terms of what the goal would be. And, uh, so maybe it's like that 50 to 60 year old that's retired, but still in like awesome shape and doing great.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I totally.
1: <laughs> yeah. Nice. Very cool. Awesome. Well, uh, I think maybe I was kind of hoping to to chat about one more topic with you and then I probably, need to wrap this bad boy up. Uh, One thing that I kind of wanted to chat about with you was uh, the topic of a bonsai collection. Uh And one thing that, that I kind of have realized recently about me, and I wanted to ask this about you because I think I, I spoke with your dad just a little bit about this at the Pacific bonsai expo is that uh, I've kind of struggled in my mind with being a collector and I don't mean collecting trees like going out into the mountains and collecting Yamadori more. So I mean like seeking a bonsai collection that I can go out and look at on a daily basis. Yeah. I don't know why I have an issue with this. And, and I like, I love having a bonsai collection and it's really like, like we were talking about goals earlier. Like my goal is to have the, one of the best bonsai collections in the U S someday. Yeah. But I still feel kind of funny. Like, I feel like, uh, I don't know, like maybe because there's an element of money or something like that. Um, part of this, though, is I've always been a collector of things. Like, it was comic books. It was magic cards. It was, what else? Uh, rock and minerals back in the day. Uh-huh. And now I'm getting going to get into koi, which is kind of funny. <laughs> um, have you always been a collector as well? is that something you've been to into like, do you, have you collected other things within your life?
0: Yeah, a little bit. Um, my parents are definitely more so my dad is a big collector. I think the, the one issue with a collector mindset is that you feel like you have to have one of everything. And so it ends up being a sacrifice to quality at some point. And I, I, I'm not immune to that as well. Like I walk in my backyard and you know, I have trees, you know, I have probably the best loblolly pine bonsai in existence. Is it a good pine bonsai? On my scale of one to 10, it's probably a five. So it probably shouldn't be in the garden, but it's the best of its species. (laughs) Like it's a loblolly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, I have, you know, countless deciduous plants for, you know, it's like, oh, well that's a, that's a red bud, but it's not really a great tree, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a red bud. It's, it's something different. So I, I do think, you know, with, with my clients who have the luxury of having kind of small collections, uh, we do we do strive for quality trumping having a ginkgo just because you want a ginkgo. Like if you're going to have that ginkgo, make sure it's a phenomenal tree. That that's the one kind of issue that I see with it. But you, know, I, I, I do I feel like I, I'm a minimalist by nature. I don't like stuff, but bonsai kind of makes me have a lot of stuff. <laughs> like I, I'm looking sitting looking at like a hundred shohin stands right now which drives me crazy <laughs> love that you know, i have a lot of stones of course everyone has a lot of pots so I, I think doing it professionally i have to have a lot of a lot of stuff but yeah be, I, i'm not as much of a collector as, as you know some people are or where my, my dad is
1: i think i get the collector from my dad as well he w- was really into antiques and collectibles. When I was growing up, he he had uh, an antique business and even like a baseball card store yeah. shop for a little while. Yeah. Yes. And uh, so I just grew up as a collector kind of going on a little bit of more of a tangent again. I think it would be so cool if at some point in time there is a website or some type of resource where we actually do list out like the 10 best of every type of tree within the United States. Mm-hmm. That might be totally ridiculous, but I just think it would be really cool if there was like yeah. the top 10 loblolly in the U S and I know like who decides on that, right? Yeah. Like,
0: yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, you're already like making people mad. Like <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. No, I, I totally want the same thing. Um, we probably, you know, I think there's, there's probably a, a time where if we do have some standardization you know if something like the Expo happens every two years for the next 50 years I can I can see down the road maybe there's a professional organization that helps run that maybe there's uh, important you know North American bonsai masterpieces in designation just like the Kicho trees in Japan uh, I, I can definitely see a place for that but I mean it's something that I'm like thinking about nonstop all day every day you know when I'm building, the best collections I possibly can for myself and my clients were we're constantly saying, okay, black pines, where are the best black pines? What are the best black pines in the country? Like, and, and just totally comparing and contrasting what we have, what we're trying to buy, where we're trying to go. It, it's like, that is basically all I think about with, with, uh, with, with, with Bonsai lately is just trying to be at that, the top of that game.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think about that a lot as well, yeah yeah so um, the,
0: we, we, i am sure over time you know it might take a few beers or something like that, but we'll have to find a way to uh start building that that process without uh making anyone too angry for sure <laughs> yeah.
1: oh man, I, I mean, I think it would be ultimately a healthy thing for the US bonsai community totally. even though there would be arguments yeah. about you know which trees deserve to be in the top 10 or top yeah. 5 or whatever it's
0: it's healthy but, discussion that needs to be had
1: 100% yeah 100% one thing i'm hoping is that i hope the pacific bonsai expo continues and the national show and i hope that we can use maybe those photos and pictures to create some type of resource where we can start putting in those winning trees and and the best within the United States. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but yeah. I, I am excited. I, I think that could be a good option.
0: Yeah. 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 Like it's almost like you could probably like the trees that are winning the expo every year, if you gave them like that important masterpiece or, you know, some type of designation, like heritage bonsai <laughs> tree or whatever you want to call it. Totally. Yeah. Those are the trees that, I don't know, the, the ones that are well-known in our community. They're, they're, we, we probably do need a way to start designating them and you know, just having them be good goalposts for people. If you have a young Redwood, throw it up to look like that amazing one that Jeff Stern had at the Expo. Or it, we, we do need some some way of organizing that that hasn't yet manifested.
1: 100%. Yep.
0: But I think cool, we'll be more Expos in the meantime that's the important.
1: yes thing. <laughs> yeah with the whole expo thing i'm just whatever it takes to make sure that it continues that's the most important thing that's uh, above all else like i'm just like yeah. come on i i just hope that it continues and i want to support it in any way to to help it to continue yeah, so 100 percent.
0: I, I think like but, consistency is what drives success right like we don't need a, a whole brand new expo every time like we just need that same expo like that same consistency yeah you can like have a new special display or whatever every time but like having that same show for the next 20 years and not changing it too much is what's going to build the community
1: absolutely couldn't couldn't agree with you more there yeah it's the most important thing and it's so important for our community so are you uh
0: do you you have your next expo tree lined up
1: what are you you submitting (laughs) next time um. Yeah. I, well, I have two two possibilities, uh, a redwood and a collected juniper that's grafted over with Kishu. Nice. I, I have kind of like an avant-garde display thing. I actually did this painting, but I'm a little, I, I don't know. I feel a little embarrassed to put it out there. I'm not a painter. I just like was inspired one day yeah. <laughs> and it made this very abstract, weird painting
0: yeah.
1: um so i don't know we'll see if we see it or not it, 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 we'll see if it gets in or not um but
0: interest. yeah if, if <laughs> you know if you don't show it at the expo at least send me a photo <laughs>
1: <No>. <laughs> sounds but. good sounds good deal yeah. Uh, but yeah that and i have a, a redwood that i really like that uh, i would like to enter as well Thanks. so
0: yeah that's a fun tree I, i'd love to see that there
1: thank you thank you what about you i'm sure you got uh, you already talked about one.
0: Yeah, I, think- um, I, I have the next roughly five or six expos kind of roughly laid out. <sighs> I'm sure that's nice. going to change as things yeah. kind of grow and whatever. I have a Shishigashira that I'm pretty excited to share. So I think I'll submit that. I have another coralopsis, which is maybe a little bit more interesting than the, the, the one from the last show um, that I'm thinking about. I have a white chochabai that's probably you know not ready for a prize yet, but I've been working on the tree a long time.
1: Yeah, I know the one you're talking about.
0: Yeah, it's it's one of my oldest that, trees, so it, it'd be fun. to kind of you know log its provenance and uh, kind of celebrate where where it's been so far. So,
1: Absolutely, very cool.
0: Yeah, have a few things in mind. Super super excited about it though. I, I can't wait for the next expo. I kind of oh, I understand he, why they didn't do it every year, but I kind of wish it was every year.
1: <laughs> oh man. I think Jonas and Eric would kill themselves if it was every year. It's just yeah, yeah, the amount of work that <laughs> that must've gone into that was yeah. crazy.
0: Yeah. And uh, speaking about that, I think if we're going to, you know, we, we are definitely doing another expo. Like it, it needs to, I think, take a uh, more of a community kind of vibe where, we, I mean, we had. They, there were such amazing volunteers at the last one, but like, we need, you know, probably another fifty or hundred volunteers to really make it a, a screaming success. So, I think if yeah uh, pe- people care about it like you and I do, like, there's a lot of opportunity to, to help out and uh, really kind of make it a regular thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's a very important point. I'm glad you bring that up, and uh, I appreciate you bringing it up and. Hopefully we uh, we should encourage more volunteers to make it a success and maybe take a little bit of lift off Jonas and Eric. Although I'm sure they'll still have quite a bit to do. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome. Cool, man. Well, hey Andrew, uh, I am just such a huge fan of everything you've been doing. I, like seriously, every Bonsai Wire episode I listen to at least twice. It helps me get to work every day, and when I have Things like traveling or <clears throat> when I'm working on my trees, I just love listening in on it. I think you guys have done such a great job there. Uh, mm-hmm. It's been just an absolute pleasure following along you in you building your bonsai garden and seeing you work with your clients and and build your collection. So, it's been an absolute honor and pleasure, pleasure to speak with you today. Um, I got to get back to <laughs> – I got to help my wife put my kids to sleep but just was so awesome to talk to you, man.
0: Yeah, there's, I think there's a lot of mutual respect. I really love everything you're doing. Uh, I've, I've enjoyed your podcast a lot too. So uh, thanks for having me on and uh, look forward to wrapping again sometime soon. Hey, that would be fantastic.
1: Thanks so much, man. I'll talk to you later, all right? Have a great night. Take yep. okay, everyone.